So what I want to do today is I want to kind of pass and review where we've been over the past several weeks on the Money Talk series. And I hope you've been getting a lot out of it. I hope it's been a blessing to you. I know I've enjoyed it, but it's been a little bit difficult for me because I feel like, hey, I'm a practitioner. I'm not a financial advisor. So I encourage you at some point in time, you will need a financial advisor and uh, probably sooner than later. Um, it's good to get all the information that you can uh, off the internet from uh, you know solid, solid people. You've heard the names, Dave Ramsey. Uh, you know, there, there are other names out there that you can, that you can trust and you can listen to. But I encourage you to, to find somebody that can talk to you personally uh, and get custom, uh, you know, customized uh, advice for where you're at. So here we go. Let me just pass and review on some things and then we'll get right into the message for today. Um, so uh, the first week we talked about alignment and agreement. And if you'll remember this, this was my uh, sit down with my wife, Holly, and we sat and we talked about where we came from in regards to money, how money formed us and our understanding of money was formed when we were growing up. And so we talked about finding what the Word of God says and aligning ourselves with the Word of God first. That's the most important thing. Align up with what God says in His Word about money and then move into agreement with your spouse. One of you probably thinks short-term, the other one long-term. One of you might be the spender, the other one the saver. Um, so you need to get into agreement in your house because Jesus said a house divided against itself cannot stand. One of the things the devil loves to do is divide couples around this issue of money. And it usually uh, is, is just a miscommunication. It's not outright disagreement. It's miscommunication because uh, neither of you want to sink your ship, right? But you have to come to terms with what you're talking about. And so this is why we told you do an index card uh, in a public place, take that Sharpie we gave you, write that one word, this is what money means to me. And then out of that, build your emotional balance sheet. And we'll see one of those in just a minute. So then the second week, we talked about allocation and automation. This is where you tell your money what to do by naming it and distributing it. Remember, and I, I've said this several times, and I hope you have it already, uh, maybe you can complete the sentence. Money is an excellent servant, but a terrible master. So say that with me again. Money is an excellent servant, but a terrible master. If you don't tell your money what to do, it will take advantage of you, and it will master you. And Jesus said you can't serve both God and money. This is why uh, you and I have to be people who are in control of our money and we need to allow the Lordship of Jesus to happen through our lives so that we can tell money what to do and how to do it. Um, and so we talked about in here allocation and uh, automation because this is how you learn to master your money. Then uh, we talked about, this was two weeks ago, we talked about efficient living and eliminating debt. Uh, starting with the small things, uh, build to the larger things. How do you, how do you take uh, control of your money and live efficiently? That was the week of uh, rice and beans. Or if you get tired of rice and beans, you can have beans and rice. We talked about the importance of mastering the small things in your life, like food, and saying, how, how can I live the most efficiently? Don't 
don't consult your taste buds first. Consult uh, your uh, your dollars and cents first. Consult your wallet, and then based on what you can do, how can you how can you make money uh, go a long ways when it comes to your menu? And so we talked a little bit about that. And the whole idea of automation has a time, uh, you know, or excuse me, eliminating debt has to do with uh, finding ways to be not only live efficiently, but then pay down debt so that it doesn't take control of your life. Um, so, uh, so you should have uh, now at this place in your, in your life and in your family, you should have a one-page uh, one financial plan, right? Um, so here are our family values that we extracted from our index cards. So responsible stewardship, uh, debt freedom, quality time as a family. You could, you could put whole sentences there if you wanted to. And this is where you come into agreement. You say, we're aligning with God's word because we recognize we're stewards and not owners of all of the things that we have. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So God owns all our money, not just the 10% that is the tithe that you hear uh, churches talk about. God owns everything. And when you understand that he owns everything, uh, you'll, you'll learn to be a steward. Um, so then we begin to talk about this cash flow summary. Um, here we have some percentages and we just projected uh, yearly income on here. Yours could be more, yours could be less, um, but you have, uh, you have a percentage that you live on. You have a percentage that you want to grow. So that would be your investment portion. A percentage that you currently owe, 15%. We want you to, uh, to take that down so that you can have more to live on and more to grow. And then a percentage to give. So here it's 12%. And so this pie chart just represents that. And so the goal for, uh, for this series was to help you get to the place where you, if you hadn't mapped your money out already, that you would map your money out and that you would maximize the amount, the amount that you're investing and the amount that you're giving. A lot of times what we do when we end up with some extra money is that we want to expand our, our, uh, you know, our, uh, our way of living, right? Uh, you know, we, we want to raise our standard of living. But what if you raised your standard of giving? What if you chose to be intentional about taking that portion that you're receiving instead of raising your standard of living, go and buying a newer car or buying a better house or whatever? What if you said, you know, what if I live simply so that others could simply live? and raise that standard of giving. We didn't talk a whole lot about that in this series, but it is a component because we recognize that we're stewards. And so we're saying, God, of this 100% that you have given me to live on, how much do you want to give through me? And that's, you know, not only your tithe, but also your faith promises for missions. That's one of the ways that we expand the kingdom of God here at Lighthouse. But God wants to pour that blessing through you. He said in his word, it is more blessed to give than to receive. We all love receiving, but you know what? When you are a person that God can count on to give, that is a blessing because he has found a way that he could pour blessing through someone's hands and they wouldn't restrict it. They would live life with an open hand. And so then you'd set your goals down here at the bottom. You have your goal and the status uh, on debt freedom. We've started that, had the mortgage paid off in 12 years. See, there is a, a, it's a time-bound commitment. Maybe we're behind on that. Maybe we're on track with that. Complete the house projects, on track with that. So the goal is to help you to get to this place where you have a one, 
a one-page financial plan so that you can start building wealth. A lot of times people only do bank balance accounting. They look at their bank account, they say, oh, I got money to spend, and they don't really understand the bigger picture of how to build wealth. If you have debt uh, that's too much for you, if, you, if your house isn't paid for, if your car's not paid for, it, then you're not in the place where you're establishing wealth. And I wanna talk with you about how to do that uh, today as we move into investments and retirement. So depending on where you're at, right? Um, we've got uh, uh, put together this page called Concepts of Money Across the Ages. And so between 10 and 20 years, you're, you're, this is where you're at with money. 20 to 30 years, you know, you might be there. Let me talk to the 20 to 30-year-olds. Pastor Daniel's talking to the younger folks here. But, you know, you're, you're, you're talking about wedding in the future. You're planning your decisions. Uh, paycheck to paycheck is, is usually where most of us live in the 20 to 30-year-old phase. Maybe you end up with a mortgage and you start to enter into your earning potential. You, you have, you've gotten a good job, maybe you've gotten a career and it's, you're beginning to move on, to, on track. 30 to 40 years old, this is where most people are, right? You're, you're digging out of bad financial decisions. You've made decisions you're not proud of. Maybe you, uh, maybe you have some debt from credit card. Maybe you uh, purchased some things that now are not worth what, it, what you paid for them. Um, and so you, you, you start to dig your way out of bad financial decisions. And you have to relay foundations as needed. You begin to prioritize for your lifestyle. You're raising kids from 30 to 40. You're raising kids come along. Man, kids are expensive, right? Kids are way more expensive than we thought they were. We maybe we didn't even think about it, but you know, there there are always more expenses coming along with your kids. 40 to 50 years old, you begin to think differently about money. Maybe you've gotten to the place where you're in the groove. You kind of know what you're doing with your money. Uh, things are uh, starting to make sense. Things are settling in. And so you start thinking about, uh, you know, there was a book that Bob Buford wrote a number of years ago called Halftime. Uh, we talk about people in the world having a midlife crisis. You know, sometimes that happens between 35 and 45. They're like, what is my life really about? And they, they try to sort some things out. Um, and so you begin to think in terms of the end game. Retirement becomes more real. Now you're thinking, you're looking at your parents and you're saying, you know, they, they might be 65, 75. That doesn't seem so old anymore. I, I remember saying that to myself over and over when I was probably before, when be, between 20 and 30, somebody in their 60s seemed like really old. But by the time I hit 40 to 50, now, man, they're not really that old. You know, somebody passes off the scene at 65. You're like, oh, man, that's just retirement age. They're really young, you know. <laughs> and it starts to, things look differently the, the older you get. And that's the whole uh, that's the whole point of this uh, particular teaching here. So retirement becomes more real. Aging parents, you start looking at wills, trusts, and, and, and uh, paperwork. Grandbabies are starting to be a, a thought. Uh, 50 to 60, retirement is more is a more aggressive pursuit because why? You know, hey, we're inside maybe that 15-year uh, window and we're starting to think, oh no, maybe I haven't prepared like I should. We'll talk a little bit more of that, about that today. Um, and then 60 and 70 years, downsizing, end-of-life insurance is long-term healthcare. We're thinking about things a little differently. Uh, 70 and up, we're updating our wills, redistributing our wealth, and then thinking to ourselves, what is my, uh, my or our legacy? What are, we, what are we doing with all of that? So let's get into the Word of God today. Let's talk about 
uh, some things that we find in the book of Proverbs that every one of us needs to address, every one of us needs to think about. This is why I love the book of Proverbs, because it, it, it hits you where you live at every age. The book of Proverbs, of course, the entire Bible is an ageless book, but the book of Proverbs is particularly important uh, because we need to sow seeds of wisdom early on. You've heard me say it before. If you take one chapter from the book of Proverbs and you, uh, and you connect it with your day. So today, uh, you know, is, uh, today as I'm preaching this for the first time, I'm recording it, it is the 4th of March. So if I took the book of Proverbs and I read uh, through chapter 4 of the book of Proverbs, I could do one chapter every day, and there are 31 Proverbs and 31 days in the average month. And so then I would be taking in the wisdom of God. And the reason that this is so important is because last month I was a month younger than I am right now. And today we're going to talk about this issue of time, because time is the most important thing as you and I relate to money. Time can work, make your money work for you. Time can cause you to feel like you have less money and less time left. And so if we will take a hold of this uh, understanding of what the, what the Word of God tells us about wisdom as it relates to time, then you and I can make it work to our advantage. So in Proverbs chapter 6, would you read this out loud with me today? Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. So the, the writer of Proverbs is, is very, has huge understanding. This is, this is Solomon, right? He has huge understanding of the whole world. God has given him amazing wisdom. If you know Solomon's story, you know that he was a young man when he became king. And he came to the Lord and he didn't ask the Lord for wealth. He didn't ask him for riches. He didn't ask him for a lot of things that he could have asked God for. He asked God for wisdom. And so God gives him wisdom, and he, he, he begins to see these uh, compare, comparisons and contrasts. And so what does he do? He tells a, he tells a sluggard, he's talking to his sons through uh, a number of uh, seasons here in, in Proverbs 1 through 7 particularly, he's talking to his sons. And he says, go to the ant. You know, go on a field trip. Just go look at that ant and see what that ant does. Does he sit still or is he constantly moving? Is he running up a tree and running down a tree? Is he taking things? And what's, what, what's in that, that ant's tentacles? What's he hanging on to? How are his legs moving? If you just tr followed an ant and just watched him go, you would realize he never stops to, to uh, rest. He never stops to uh, pause for a minute and see what the commander-in-chief has to say. He's just constantly moving. Instinctual, uh, you know, in his, it's instinctive in this ant, right, that he needs to keep moving and keep making things happen because he understands that there's going to be a season when he can't gather and, and he can't store up. 
So he spends all of his time in the right seasons doing the right things, making sure that he's gathering and storing, gathering and storing, gathering and storing. He's just constantly doing that. And so what, what uh, Solomon wants us to understand is that we've got to be wired up like this ant who understands. He, he says, consider its ways and be wise. In other words, it understands that not every season is the same. And we need to take advantage of the seasons that we have. We need to take advantage of time. And so he's saying, use an objective standard. This is what Solomon's saying. We can look at the ant and we can recognize it has an instinct that is a God-given instinct. And therefore, it is objective. This ant doesn't care what it feels like. This ant doesn't care what day it is. It doesn't, it doesn't have anything to do with the time of the day or the season. When you see this ant, this ant is going to be moving, right? And, and so he's saying, look at, a, at a, an objective standard and use that for motivation, don't just consult how you feel because that's not what the ant does. The ant doesn't do that at all. The ant just takes advantage of the season that it, that it has. It stores its provisions in summer, gathers its food at harvest. And so he's saying to that sluggard that's on the inside of all of us, right? That part of us that just wants to lay down, that part of us that just wants to take it easy. Um, he's saying, get up. Do something. You got time. The, the, the day is still young. You can still work. You get moving. And what is he saying? He's saying that we've only got so many hours in the day and we need to, we need to be diligent about what we do. So here's the thing that you and I need to get a hold of when we come to this idea of investment. And I'll illustrate this in a minute. Investment is best understood by, this is my formula, by the way, and I'm, I'm not an investor, so there are probably other better formulas, but I needed to simplify this. Print the principal amount multiplied by time, time the rate of return, minus your taxes and fees is going to be what you end up with. Now that's not fully a, an ROI as you would rate an ROI, but I needed something very simple for us to talk about. So of each of these, the most potent lever that you and I have to work with is time, right? Um, here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that you might go out and find a really great rate and you might be able to do that. But if you're in your 80s, when you get that great rate, it won't benefit you as much as it would have if you were in your 20s. So rates are going to come and go. And what the, the, the one uh, lever that you and I have to work with that we're in control of is our time is our time. You might have only a little bit to invest, but if you, if you use time to your advantage, then that little bit that you invest over that longer period of time will be worth more in the long run. And so time is the most critical piece. And this is what the writer of Proverbs is telling us, don't waste time. Touch your neighbor and say, don't waste time. You know, you and I only have so much. We might have a lot of time-saving devices. Have you ever heard that phrase? Oh, I've got an appliance that'll save you time. I got a power tool that'll save you time. Just spend this amount of money, it'll save you time. Can I tell you, you still only have 24 hours in a day. You still only have seven days in a week. You don't get 25 hours in a day. You don't get eight days in a week. You can't save time. You can only harness it to your advantage. And so I, I want us to get our language straight. You're not going to save time. You're not going to be able to store it up. 
All you can do is recognize that you can exchange some, some of the hours of today and take something out of those hours and invest them for the future. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, the writer of Proverbs stresses the, the urgency of this. The ant doesn't have anyone telling him what to do, but he works in every season to gather and to store so that he'll have what he needs. Here's, a, here's an old saw. This is an old investor's quote. The best time to invest is yesterday. The second best time is today. If I, if I just give you just a minute and say, how many investment opportunities did you pass up five years ago, 10 years ago? Let me tell you, when you're younger, you don't think about it. When you're older, you regret it. When you're older, you say, man, why didn't I, I, I burned through so much money or I, or I wasted this money on, on food or, you know, you know, those of us that got born again, why did I spend so much money on alcohol? Why did I spend so much money on having a good time? Why, why did I blow my money? Now I wish I had it. You know, there, you, you have regrets in life. There will always be certain regrets that all of us will have. But you don't have to have regrets if you take advantage of the opportunities that you have. So, uh, so regardless of what you did yesterday or what you should have done 10 years ago, the, best, the second best time to start investing is today. So I want to challenge you on that. So here's the thought, right? We need to pray, don't we, for the Ukraine uh, Russia going in and, and taking over the U Ukraine. That's been on, on my prayer list ever since we started hearing about it about a week and a half ago. Pray for the Ukraine. Um, we need to do that. Um, every time you have one nation taking over another nation, um, you start to hear uh, rumblings, right? The wars and rumors of wars. You start to hear the rumbling, rumblings of World War III. And the, you know the last major world war that we had was obviously World War II. 1942 uh, was a year of a lot of unrest uh, as it related to World War II. The entire world was turned upside down. Here's what Warren Buffett says about 1942 when he made his first investment. Um, he says, if you had invested $10,000 in 1942 in the market, now just think about this, um, why would you take money and put it in something intangible that you cannot see, a stock market that could crash tomorrow in the year when our world was most turned upside down, wouldn't you have invested in gold? Wouldn't you have invested in silver? Wouldn't you have invested in real estate? Here's what Warren Buffett said. In the year that was most unsure in our, in our world's history, if you had taken $10,000 and invested it in 1942. Today, it would be worth $51 million. This was probably 10 years ago. So I think this was like at the 70-year mark or something like that. Uh, so $10,000 invested in the, in the stock market um, in 1942, $51 million today. This is the power that time has. This is the power, the leverage that investing has in your life and mine. In a person's lifetime, $10,000 invested, $51 million later. 
So, uh, so what I'm going to suggest to you as we talk through uh, finances here is I'm not going to talk to you about this stock or that stock. I'm not going to talk to you about Bitcoin. I'm not going to talk to you about, about any kind of cryptocurrency, anything like that. The only thing I want to talk to you about uh, in regards to investment um, is, is how to leverage your time. And I'm going to talk to you about uh, what is known as an index fund. Very simply put, an index fund rides on the entire market. It's not taking one set of stocks out and saying invest in this stock. It's investing in the entire stock market, the S&P 500, if you will. You know, we would, we would in, a, in an index fund, just basically floats on the top of whatever it does. And so, uh, so it, there are bull markets when uh, things are moving up in a good way, and then there are bear markets when there are declines in the market. But money invested in the entire stock market is leveraging this thought that that some areas are going to be doing poorly while other areas are doing well. And so if you invest in, a, in an index fund, it just rides on the fact and it bets on all the horses, if you will. It bets on the fact that over time, things are going to trend better than they do worse. And the, the one thing uh, also that's really good about an index fund is that an index fund um, has very little to no fees associated associated with it. Um, and so nobody is sitting there managing that. And what's kind of interesting is you will have fund managers that do worse than an index fund and they're paid to do better. <laughs> so, right. And so, uh, so an index fund is just a safe way to put money into the stock market. And at the same time, you're not playing the market where there's a lot more risk. And so you just set that in there and you let it roll. And this is basically what uh, Warren Buffett said uh, that you could do if you had done that in 1942, and this is back before index funds actually were created, um, if you'd invested $10,000 in 1942, $51 million today. So, uh, so here's, uh, fast forward, here's just an illustration from today, right? So $10,000 invested on the first trading day of January in 2001 in the S&P 500 would have been worth around $61,500 this past December 31st. All right. So this is, this is the advantage. This is an index fund right there uh, as an illustration. In your lifetime, in my lifetime, that's what it would have been worth. So I want to I want to break this down a little bit more for you here, I'm hoping that you can see that. But I'll just circle this up here. So what we have here is a, a, a length of time, 25 to 65, so 40 year span here on the bottom axis, and on the the side axis here, you you go from zero to two million dollars. So I want to show you uh, the, the power of time is illustrated right here. So this line says, Chloe invests from ages 25 to 65, earning 6.5%. So $10,000 every year until she's 65. So 40 years of investing, $10,000. So she's put a total of $400,000 in, and she ends up at 65 years old, with $1.87 million. So of that, and I'm gonna show you uh, one more 
one more piece here. Uh, the, the dashes here uh, are the savings and the investment return is the solid. So you see here that she has put 21% of her total uh, package in here. 79% was the return on that investment at 6.5%. So that's, that's what we have there. Quincy invests from ages 25 to 35. So we're talking only 10 years does he do this. He puts $100,000 in at the same rate, 6.5%. Now, I don't know what he did with his other $300,000. I don't know what he did from 35 to 65 for the next 30 years. I don't know what he did. But what it tells us here in this graph is that he earns $950,000 just from a 10-year investment. 10-year investment from, you know, from 25 to 35 is that $10,000. And, and so uh, $10,000 per year, total of $100,000. So do you see the difference between, the, uh, between 10 years of investment, 30, 000, uh, 30 years he can do whatever he wants, and he only invested $100,000 and his return is $950,000. So I want you to see the, the difference here between now he's only 11% only is savings, 89% is return just because he started early. Then we have Lila who starts uh, 10 years later um, at 35 and she invests 35 to 65. I don't know what happened. My Okay, I guess my laser did come back. Uh, so $300,000 total and she comes out at 919000 uh, And so then we have Noah down here who invests and this is a lower, uh, a lower interest rate, but he, he puts 400000 in and, and so he comes out even at the lowest yet. He starts at 25 and uh, at 2.25%. So here we have a different term, different rate of return, and he ends up with $652,214 um, as a result. So what I want you to see from this is that time is the critical piece. This is why the, the writer of Proverbs says, go, don't be a sluggard. Go look at the ant and see how diligent he is and take advantage of the time that you have right now. Um, what you and I don't realize, and, and let me back up to this, uh, this $10,000 invested. Yeah, you know, $10,000 invested just 20 years ago, just 20 years ago. Look at the return on that, $61,500, that $10,000. What I would suggest that you do is if you were to, to just look at that rate of return and, and then back it down, maybe $10,000 is a lot of money and you're thinking right now and you're saying, man, I don't know where I'd come up with $10,000. You know what? Plug it into the same span of time, same rate of return, put $1,000 in there where that $10,000 is and see where it would be today. Put $500 in there and see where it would be today. You, you, what you need to understand is it doesn't matter the amount. If you leverage the amount of time, your, your money will work for you longer. And it's so critical for you and I to get a hold of that. Investing makes your money work for you rather than you working for your money. It allows you to work smarter and not harder. And, and so, you know, if money is your servant, make it work for you. It's not, it's not breaking a sweat. It's, you're, you're, not, you're not making it have a hard time sleeping at night, you know, because you pushed it too hard. You're making money work for you. It's not, it's not you that's sweating. It's your money that's doing the heavy lifting. And if you'll leverage time, 
if you'll leverage time on your side, get something going, get something, find, if you have to, uh, you know, take out a part-time job or do some door dashing or do something to, uh, to get your debt down and invest more, if you'll invest more, you'll be glad that you did. You know, if you will learn to uh, put a higher percentage of your money in investing uh, and, and then somewhere down the line, uh, you, you'll be uh, much better off. So it's so important for you and I to get a hold of this concept. I wish I had done it earlier. Let me tell you uh, one, of the, one of the regrets that I have that I actually wrote about it because one of the things I thought, okay, maybe I didn't do this, but somebody's going to listen to this little parable and they'll learn something from it. When uh, Heather was first born, I think she was maybe only about six or eight weeks old. Um, we were at uh, out with a, a guest minister. Um, I was on the staff, and Pastor Erickson wanted the staff to listen to the, what this guest minister had to say at lunch. And he comes over, and you know, just being very kind, and said, "Oh, you know, well, I mean, she was a beautiful baby, right? Of course she was." Um, but uh, but he said, "Oh, what a great baby!" And then the next thing he did was look at me right in the eye and say, "I won't even tell you who it is because you would know. It's okay." Um, and he looked at me right in the eye and he said, "Son, I'm going to tell you something." Babies are expensive. I'm like, hello. He said, do you ever, do you ever wonder uh, uh, that diapers were going to be so expensive? I was like, no, I had absolutely no clue. Here I was, you know what, I don't know, 20, I guess we would have been, I would have been 25 years old. Had never thought the thought of how expensive a diaper was. Didn't think about wipes. Didn't think about any, anything baby related, right? And uh, this is why we have baby showers, right, to get you a, a head start. He said, let me tell you something. He said, you're never going to have quite enough money for your kids. You're always going to need more. He said, but let me, let me uh, let you in on a little secret. He said, as soon as she comes out of diapers, don't just act like you still have to pay for diapers because let me, let's face it. You didn't know how much diapers were going to, were going to cost. And you found the money. As soon as you found out that little tyke needed diapers, you found the money for that, those diapers and you've been paying it every month. And you're going to continue to pay it until she comes out of those diapers. What I want you to do is act like from here on out that that, that amount of money that you've been paying for diapers uh, is not in your budget. And just go ahead and put it in an account. Put it in a savings account. Put it in an investment account. And, you know, that's a good start for a college fund right there. As soon as she comes out of diapers. And, you know, I, I took that and I thanked him and I appreciated it. But did I act on it? No. You know, I was so happy when Heather came out of diapers. I don't know. It was probably like at that time, probably 60 or $80 a month. It's much more now today. You know, diapers to, to keep a child in diapers. I mean, some of you sitting there, you already know what it is. You know, you could probably tell me to the penny. I did a, a little teaching a few years ago and I put it, uh, I have it on PDF. I never, never published it, uh, but I, I called it uh, My Preschooler is a Millionaire. And it's based on this concept that if you took the money uh, that you are spending on your child for diapers and formula and whatever, I think it was probably when I did the, the teaching, and this was a few years ago, I think it was uh, about $150 a month, uh, $175 maybe, it's higher today. And if you took that money, um, and if your child is in, is in uh, daycare or preschool, and I happen to know what those numbers are, it's much, much higher, um, and you take that number, and then as soon as a child comes out of diapers, you take that number and you begin to invest. You know what's amazing about it? 
the, the idea of my preschooler as a millionaire takes this idea of time and backs it up even further. So instead of, instead of uh, uh, where we had, let me back it up, uh, instead of uh, Chloe, uh, well, I, I like Quincy better because he only does it for a short term. Instead of waiting until, uh, until Quincy is 25 to start investing, that $10,000 a month or $10,000 a year. Um, what if you backed him up to, to three years old? What if you took a preschooler and started investing for their retirement when they're three? What if you took that money and you used it as a teaching tool so that when your child was five and they, they had, they actually had a an account in there with their name on it and you could show them how it had grown from the time they were three to the time they were five. And now they have their own little bit of money and you can start to talk with it. Cause can I tell you, money has a lot of shame and embarrassment connected to it. If you've made mistakes with money, you got to get over that. You got to get on the other side of that. You got to get free of that because the devil's using it to drag you down. So get on the other side of shame when it comes to money. Everybody's made mistakes when it comes to money. Don't let it stop you from teaching your kids the right way. Don't let it stop you from sitting down with your kids and saying, you know what, this is how you handle money. This is how you do it. Make sure that they're saving. Make sure that they're investing. Make sure that they're tithing. Make sure that they understand money is a what? An excellent servant, but a terrible master. And at five years old, you can teach them how to tell their money what to do. And you begin to teach them. And so the whole concept of my preschooler is a millionaire is that if I start my child, uh, I start a retirement fund with, with diaper money, I can make them a millionaire by the time they're 62 years old and they wouldn't have had to add hardly anything to it, if anything, because it rides on in that index fund right on the top of the market. Retirement is the hardest nut to crack. We'll talk about it here in just a minute. Retirement for, a, for an American is probably the hardest nut to crack next to health insurance. Health insurance is getting to be a big deal, right, in our world. But if you start early, it'll cost you less and help your child more if you will start them at right, right as soon as they come out of diapers. You, you set up that index fund and you get it going in the direction. Will they be able to add to it? Absolutely, they'll be able to add to it. Don't let them touch it. Don't let them touch it. Just let it keep riding on the market, right? And you can take this uh, this ten years that uh, ended up and and you know this is just a hundred thousand dollars. But if you start back here when they're you know twenty two years earlier than good old Quincy did, you'll be blessing them. You'll be helping them. And you know what that three thousand dollars will kind of work out to be? Well, I found out that uh, with each of my grandkids, that if I opened up an Acorns account and I just rounded up the change that was between my debit card swipe and the next dollar and put that in plus $50 a month, that came out to just a little over $100. And it didn't take long with that uh, with an aggressive portfolio in Acorns to get to that $3,000 mark. And so you can do something as a parent or a grandparent with spare change. It doesn't even have to be diaper money, right? And uh, you can start that investment process. What am I doing? 
all I'm doing, I haven't talked at all, hardly at all about, a, about an interest rate. I haven't talked about that. I just talked about leveraging time because time is the thing that we can't get back. Time is the thing that we have less of today than we had yesterday. You can always get a better interest rate. You can't get any better time, right? Uh, so you and I have to leverage time. So, so critical, so important. So here's, uh, here's Proverbs 13, 22. A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. Here's what I want you to see. The wealth of the nations is in the generations. What God invested in your life, he wants you to pass on to the next generation. And what, where the devil beats us up, is that he divides and separates the generations. He gets, he gets the, the, the grandfathers not talking to the fathers. He gets the fathers not talking to the sons. And, and there's a breakdown. The, the, the reality of wealth acquisition comes from wisdom. You and I need to understand that God sees the end from the beginning. That wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. That the writer of Proverbs understood that in order for you to hang on to your money at all. You're going to need wisdom. Uh, if you don't have wisdom, it's going to burn right through your hands. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It only matters of is, is do you have the wisdom to know what to do with it when you have it? And if you don't have the wisdom, let me tell you what's going to happen. This is what this is a good man leaves his inheritance for his children's children, but a sinner's wealth, that in other words, one that doesn't use wisdom, is laid up for somebody who's going to learn how to handle it. It's just going to go right through the hands of that person that doesn't know how to handle money. And it doesn't matter how much they make. They're going to be back to zero tomorrow and probably negative. So you and I need to learn to take what God has given us and to, and to manage it well, to do it well, to handle it well. How do I go from poverty to paid vacations in one generation? By investing for myself and for my children. It really comes down to it. How can you do that? How can you move from a poverty mindset? Because really poverty is a mindset that, you know, whatever I do today, I'm laboring for it and it's all I'll have and I've got to work for myself. No, your heavenly father gives you everything richly to enjoy, but enjoy it within limits. Don't, don't overspend yourself. Take what God has given you and then command it to do what it's supposed to do. Command it. Take that first 10%, give it to the Lord. Take the next 10% and put it in, and invest it. You say, Pastor Ken, I can't invest 10%. I'm having a hard time even coming up with the idea of giving 10%. Can I just tell you, if you'll, if you'll trust God with that first 10%, He'll bless the other 90. It'll go further than you ever thought possible. And then what you're going to do is you're going to knit yourself in to the body of Christ because there are people in this church that have amazing wisdom when it comes to wealth on how to build it. And it doesn't, it didn't come to them because somebody handed them a big check. It came to them because they learned how to eat rice and beans and then beans and rice the next day. And they learned how to manage money, how to live efficiently, and to eliminate debt. They learned how to, how to allocate and how to automate. They learned how to invest and how to set themselves up for retirement. And you need to talk to people like that. They are, they are wealthy not because they have lots of dollars and cents, but they, they're wealthy because they have a lot of wisdom and they're sitting right around you. I know them. I know their stories. Can I just tell you, Lighthouse, we have one another. We are never to be jealous 
jealous of one another. We are to be jealous for one another. We are to be people that help others do what it, what it is we wished we could have done. And, and always looking forward to that next generation and saying, you know what, I've, you know, God's taught me some things. Let me impart it to you. Let me share it with you. You know, so I don't know where you're at. You could be in the 20, 10 to 20 year old phase. Find somebody that's older than you that's looking at, at what they're going to do with their legacy and they can impart some wisdom to you. You say, well, maybe they'll give me some greenbacks too. Well, let me tell you, if you don't get the wisdom that they got, those greenbacks would be gone before they turned their back. You need the wisdom of God in order to learn to manage money. And that's what this uh, whole money series has all been about. Get yourself free from the love of money. Get yourself free from debt. Get yourself into agreement with your spouse in your home. And watch what God will do in your life. Let me pray for you today. And then we're going to close. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for those that have been uh, walking through this series and understanding what, uh, what it means that money talks. Lord, that they've been taking a hold of this and they've been gleaning it. And Lord, they've been learning to eliminate debt and live more efficiently. They've been learning how to allocate their funds. They've been learning how to put money aside uh, for those days when uh, things were going to be scarce. Father, I pray your blessing on your people. I pray, Lord God, come on, just lift your hands right now. I pray right now in the name of Jesus that your blessing would abide on your people, that Lord, that they would be blessed financially like never before. They would put you first. They would get into agreement in their house so that you can bless them because a house divided cannot stand. God, I pray that marriages would be changed because of this series, because of the walking out of the truth of the Word of God in their lives. Father, I pray that we'd have a sense of urgency about our finances, Lord God, to do uh, more with them than what we ever thought possible. Father, I pray that wisdom would be imparted to your people today and in the days to come. We thank you for it right now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Hey, God bless you. I'm looking forward to seeing you real soon. And uh, don't forget, God's got good things in store for you. He wants to bless your life. And uh, I want to I be there to see it. God bless you. Have a great day.